Well, your pastor is not prepared to preach today. He's jet lagged, so I'm here. Uh, he's at the North Campus with those good folks and want to say hi to them as well as hello to you guys who are watching online today. Uh, I just feel something in my spirit that for me it would be disobedient because it is so strong that I want to do before we begin, and that is as we celebrate Mother's Day today, uh, as we laugh with with moms as we pray for moms, I just want to talk about the elephant in the room for a moment. The elephant in the room is that for many of you, this is not the most joyous, but it's the most difficult day of the year. In fact, my guess would be that I'm speaking to many who are watching online today because the last place you want to be is a place where we're celebrating motherhood. You've lost a mom, you have a prodigal child, you haven't been able to have a child. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Your mom was not the kind of mom they put on holiday cards. And this day brings a lot of pain your way. And in many ways, it makes you feel less than. And the Lord wants you to know that you are enough, that you have value, that you have worth, that he has not left you, that he is for you, and that if you will lean into him, he will bring something to you that only he can bring. Can I just pray that over you today? Would that be okay? Father, from both of these campuses and physical locations to those who are watching at home, I know that our heart would never be uh, in the celebration of this day to not recognize what they are going through. And so, Father, I would pray for a peace that passes understanding. I would, I would speak against the enemy's attempts to separate these people from their source of hope and strength. I pray, Father, that even today there would be a new revelation in their spirit of your nearness, your care for them. I pray, Father, that all of us who are blessed to celebrate, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we might be your voice of encouragement in the lives of people who are hurting. Father, it is right to celebrate and it is right to stop and to help folks cry through their, uh, smile through their tears. So Father, for all of us, we would pray for a joy uh, to come into our lives, even in the most difficult of days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So give me a few moments this morning to talk to you about the thing that your heart desires the most. You say, well, I, I, you don't know me. How do you know what my heart desires the most? Because you were created, knit together in your mother's womb. You were designed in your DNA, young, old, male, female. You were designed for this thing that Jesus promises to bring. The problem for many of us when we sit in churches and hear our pastors talk about this thing, we kind of tend to Americanize the concept 
and we get frustrated because we don't experience it, but we're looking in the wrong place. What if what your heart needed the most, what you wanted the most, is available to you, but you're looking in the wrong place? You know, I've been traveling over the past nine months. I've spent more time on the road than I have at home, and I've learned a lot about traveling. I'm, I've studied because it's never been a part of my life. What, what are the most important things when you're traveling from city to city to city? And one of the things that I have found to be most important is a power source. Come on, somebody. Your phone needs to work when you're traveling to other cities. And it is your alarm clock, your connection to your wife. And it's the only way you can get anything to eat because Uber is your friend when you're on the road. Right, And I'll never forget waking up one morning, getting out my, my uh, power supply and finding that I didn't have my extension cord that went to it. Uh, and I was mad at my wife because I was convinced she had let one of my grandkids get in my bag and move it to a different place. And that night, how many of you know that like when you're trying to get up the next morning to catch a flight and you don't have an alarm clock and you don't trust the people down at the Motel 4 that they got you staying in? that you wake up every 30 minutes. Every time I woke up, I get more and more frustrated until I would convince myself I walked in the door the next day. Now, I've been married 38 years, so this ain't my first rodeo. I'm not going to, like, chart, from the beginning, charge in there and accuse her of something. I'm going to let it build. I'm going to build my case. <laughs> and because Jesus loves me, I opened another side of the pouch of my backpack, and there was the cord that I needed. I had spent $67 at the airport on a $12 cord. Because sometimes the thing you need the most, you find, you can't find it because you're looking in the wrong place. If you've ever been a part of a Sunday school class, if you even occasionally attend a church, you know these words in John 10 that talks about this great conflict that we're in. The conflict is not political. It's, not, it's bigger than a, a culture war or a, cancel, or a cancel culture or international conflict. It is happening in the heavenlies, and it's all about you. The thief comes. The Bible says you have a thief, an enemy. He comes to, don't miss it, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. You, this singular you. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to... He wants to, uh, to kill your peace, and he wants to suck your soul dry. That's what he wants to do. And he'll use anything he can at his disposal to bring you down in the world in which you live, to, to, to help you, uh, to move you to a place where you have nothing left. I think it's always interesting. People will come up to me and say, Pastor, trying to go to church today, and the devil, he gave me a flat tire. The devil didn't give you a flat tire. You ran over a nail. The devil don't care about your tire. He cares about how you respond to a flat tire. That's the battle, right? The battle is in what happens in me, not what's happening around me. And Jesus says, I came to give you life. Life to the full, abundant life, some versions say. See, you were created for abundant life. You were created for life to the full. You were created 
to live impervious to the devil's schemes to suck you dry because you are so being filled with his abundant life that Jesus wants to get you. And it has very little to, hap- uh, to do with what's happening around you. It's all about what's happening inside of you. But you were created for life to the full. And Jesus tells us in John 6, when you put these two passages together, that life to the full is found in him alone. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus declares himself to be bread, and we like that, don't we? We like the picture of Jesus being bread, but we are looking at it through the lens of a Western eye of what we don't really understand what Jesus was saying there about what kind of bread he is. Micah sent me to the store. So we've been traveling, there was nothing in the house. And because, you know, I'm heroic like that, I went to the store. And she told me to get bread. Anybody gone to the store and looked at the bread aisle lately? One end you got Wonder Bread, which I'm not really sure is bread. And then the other end you got stuff full of nuts and I don't even, grass and bark. I don't even know what it is. And I know that's not bread. And there's 150 kinds in between. I mean, we can get any kind of bread that we want at any time. But to a Jewish audience, when Jesus said, I'm bread, it meant something completely different. Genesis chapter 3, when God tells Adam that he's going to have to work the soil, he's saying, you're going to have to grow your own bread. You're going to have to till the soil. See, bread was a symbol for a Jewish culture of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's provision. Abraham takes his only son Isaac, climbs up the mountain. You remember it? And the angel stops his hand and God says, because you're you're willing to give me everything, I'm not going to allow you to kill your son. And you know what Abram offered instead of his son? It was bread. It was Ruth when she went to see Boaz that brought this sacrifice of bread. It's seen as a precious commodity, not an aisle full of choices in the days of Jesus. But the crowning moment of bread in the Old Testament, we know, came as the Israelites were leaving Egypt. They began this journey and God gives them miracle after miracle after miracle from plagues to the parting of a Red Sea. And in a matter of days after they have been supernaturally delivered, they are wondering if God is going to take care of them again. I know that's none of us, but that's their battle. God's never done anything for us. And then a week later, we wonder if he's going to do it again. And so they get up one morning and they have manna from heaven. The psalmist said it rained manna. People ask, well, what did manna look like? It, manna wasn't bread. It, was, it looked like coriander seed that they ground together to make a substance for bread. Anybody remember the only principle attached to that bread? You can only gather enough for today. 
In fact, he said to them, if you try to gather more than enough for today, it's going to rot. It's going to be filled with worms. Why did he make that principle? Because he knows us. And he knows that today is not generally enough for us. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am life to the full, the abundant life that you're looking for is not more of something or less of something else. We, many of us buy into the Western American principle of more means more. That if I just had more money, if I just had more time, if I just had more better health reports from the doctor, I would experience abundant life. I know this weekend in Abilene, we, all three universities have students who have graduated entering the workforce. And I remember entering the workforce and you run towards something and you say to your wife, oh, one of these days, when we establish ourselves and you spend your life living for the next day because we think it's about more. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And lose his soul. If I just had more energy. God bless you moms and dads of ankle biters. I got five grandkids. I watch these moms. I'm like, man, they need a B12 shot. They need an energy drink. It's just this constant. And you wonder how you're, how am I going to make it? And you begin to believe as soon as I get this kid out of diapers and they can walk on their own, that's going to be enough. Does anybody have an elementary kid that's laughing at that? Because then they become mobile and the whole game changes. And they get into elementary school and junior high. And you're thinking, if they can just drive one day, I'm tired of being an ATM machine and an Uber driver for these kids. And then you toss them the keys one day. How's that feel? I mean, I've had people say to me, if God would just give me kids, and I've had others say to me, if God could just get these kids out of my house, and it's just more, it's the next thing that we fight for. This, we think the abundant life is just more. And we wonder why we don't find waters that overflow in our spirit. I took my family... I have two adult children, for those of you who don't know me, I talk about them a lot, that are both married, and they've given us five grandkids. And I had the bright idea at Christmas that our Christmas gift to those families would be a trip to Disney in Florida. Is that land or world? I always get them mixed up. World, Disney world in Florida. Listen, if I, was, if I ever rejected God's grace, he would send me to Disney for eternity. 11 people at Disney on spring break week. I am dumber than a rock. 
And so I'm taking these children in between all of these places, and the, the girls have mapped it out. I'm just there just to pass out money. That's all I'm there to do. We're going to do this ride, and then we can reserve this ride, and then we can reserve this ride. And you, you would get off a ride, and every mom in the place had their phone, and they were trying to make sure they could get to the next ride. Nobody was enjoying where they were because they were so intent on getting to the next place. Am I talking to anybody in this room? So Micah and I, my wife, we sat down under a shade tree to catch our breath while these kids went and rode something that would make us throw up. I don't even remember what it was. And I said, honey, I got $100 in my pocket. I'll give you $100 if you can find one couple walking through here that on their face says this is the happiest place on earth. Now, a teenager with his arm around some girl grinning, they don't count. That's hormone gridlock. That's a whole nother thing. I want to find an adult. Jesus and Micah as my witness. 50 minutes before anyone came by with half a smile. What if the ticket you bought to give you the life that you think you want doesn't deliver on what it promises? Jesus says he's living water. He is pouring out his spirit in abundance into our lives to give us everything we need. But for some of us, our spirit is rotting away because today is not enough. We need the promise of the next day and the next day and the next day. Many of you know, some of you don't, that I spend most of my time on the road traveling literally from coast to coast, helping parents connect God's power to the very real issues of anxiety, depression, and feeling overwhelmed by life that our kids in America are experiencing. I just, I think we have something better than fidget spinners and weighted blankets. Call me crazy, but I think Jesus works better. So I'm I'm trying to teach parents how you connect their kids into God's power in these moments. And so what I do is I I go and I do this two-hour seminar. I'll give you five practical tools. And at the end, it happened in Seattle just this week. At the end, they always come up to me before the conference and say, do you want to sign books? And I always say yes, and it's not because I care about signing books. That makes me feel kind of weird, honestly. It's because that's where I get to talk to people. That's where people who could care less about a signed book come and 35-year-old men come up and turn away from the crowd and the tears run down their face. And the moms come to me with shaking hands saying, I can't sleep at night. I'm so worried about my junior high, my high school, my elementary age child. Here's what's going on with them. Here's what I found traveling around the country. It's interesting, dad's number one concern is did I mess my kid up? They are so living in regret from the past that they're crippled from being who God called them to be in this moment. And the number one fear of moms is about the future. 
my child is really struggling socially in sixth grade. I don't know how they're going to do in middle school. What if my kid picks the wrong friends? What if they get involved with the wrong crowd? It's, it's all about future events. Well, it takes emotional energy. I expend emotional energy worried about regret from my past. And I expend emotional energy concerned about the what ifs of the future. What if God is pouring his spirit into your life? His heart is for an abundant life, but you're so busy burning your energy on something from the past or fear of the future that you're living a half full life and you believe that's really as good as it gets. I think the most un-American proverb in the Bible is Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. Be careful what you ask for, man. You might get it. You might start seeing yourself as your only source. You may come to a place where you think you don't need God. You did it all on your own. I don't want to disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The wisest man other than Jesus to ever walk on the planet, Solomon, says, hey, the place of abundance is a focus on enough for today. How would your life change? if you began to build what I call a man of mindset in your life? What if you began to build the discipline into your way of thinking that Jesus was enough for today and that was enough for you? Hey, everybody, look at me. I know what I'm talking about. I've had anxiety and pain disorder for 30 years. I've had more oil poured in my head than Jiffy Lube. I don't need any of you to fix me. Jesus is enough for me. I win more days than I lose in this season of my life, but there have been seasons where I've lost more than I'm winning. Well, how do you make it through a day of extreme panic attacks and anxiety that are chemically induced? Well, people go, what are you anxious about? I don't know. I make stuff up. It's called a disorder. I mean, uh, Well, I put enough days together to know that I make it through those seasons one day at a time. Pastor, I just don't know how I'm going to do this for the next three years of my life. I don't either, but I know how you can do it today. He's bread. He's enough for today. How would your marriage change if you decided that today I'm going to be everything God has called me to be today? I can't be it forever, but I can be it today. God can give me enough strength for today. And I'm not going to waste my energy on the future or worrying about my past. And I'm going to let God do it in my mate as well. I'm going to trust that the same Jesus that lives in me, lives in him, lives in her. And I'm going to be his child to the best of my ability today.
I'm going to tell you something. Next generation, you have, as a generation, very little resilience. Studies are proving that resilience is waning among the next generation. Part of it is because you don't build resilience without resistance. And we have done you a disservice by removing things that would cause resistance. And actually in trying to help you, we've hurt you because you haven't built resilience because there's not resistance. Your life, you are going to come to the end of yourself. People are not going to treat you the way you deserve to be treated. The fair, life isn't fair. The fair left town last week, last I checked. Life is not always going to be fair. Bad things are going to happen to good people. Like, you're going to have to many times work at whatever God has called you to do beyond your own strength. And when you decide to live a man of mindset in those moments, not if they come, but when they come, that is the power that gets you through the resistance that builds resilience in your life. Because your trials in God's hands are doing things you cannot see and investing in your future to build you into the person that God has destined for you to become. But resilience isn't built without a manna mindset because there are going to be days where you're going to look at your mate and say, I don't know how long I can do this. And if your mate knows Jesus, she will look at you and say, one day at a time. And you start stringing days together. And God starts building your faith. And you start living free. I don't know how many days it took for those Israelites. <laughs> when they opened that tent flap in the morning. To move from wondering if the man was going to be there again. To expecting and grateful for the provision they knew that was going to be there. They were eating every day, but they were free when their mindset shifted. And that gets built over time. And when Jesus promises to be the bread of life, see, a promise is always attached to a principle. And the principle is, I will give you exactly what you need to fill you exactly where I need to fill you, fill you, but it won't happen in any way other than one day at a time. I mean, my opinion, I have the mic today so you get my opinion. The second greatest movement in the history of the world was born out of the first greatest movement. The first greatest movement was a local church. Second greatest movement born out of the local church was AA. Based on biblical principles, we've watched people get set free for years. And I know there are these steps that you take, but it's all built on one premise. What is it? One day at a time. 
And for you to live an overcoming life, you have to build the discipline in your home and in your heart for one day at a time. You have to build a man of mindset. Some of you wired the way I'm wired have to fight every day for a man of mindset to remember that he's going to be enough for today. And Jesus, he had us in mind when he gathered his disciples in that upper room, didn't he? These disciples had been there countless times at this feast, this meal called the Passover. They had watched their leader, their rabbi, lead them through all the symbolism of that table. And this time Jesus gets their attention when he changes the script and he takes this bread and said, this is me, my body, broken for you. And every time you eat it, You remember my death and how it, how they don't even understand it yet, but it proves that I'm going to be enough for today. So you don't have to worry about your future. Eat this bread and remember, I'm good for today. I'll give you enough for today. And if you're worried about your future, I'm going to give you bread. But for those of you who are worried about your past, Here's this cup of wine, and it represents my blood that's shed for you. And it takes care of your past, your present, and your future sin. But the way you deal with your regret is you drink this cup. And remember, the price I paid for you in the past. Hey, everybody look at me. I know you're not what you should be. And this side of heaven, you'll never be what you should be. That's why you need a savior. Like be kind to yourself. How about you give yourself a break? Beating yourself up is not a spiritual act. You don't have to, like spiritual and miserable don't have to be used in the same sentence all the time. Give yourself some grace. Why? Because he's bread. He's enough for today. He's taking care of your past. And he has secured your future. This is so counter-cultural to the messages that we're hearing in the world in which we live. We have to fight for this mentality. We have to correct back to this mentality over and over and over again. Or we're going to be those people walking through Disney with frowns on their faces, not enjoying where they are. Because they're so busy waiting to get to the next thing. I think this is a critical component of changing the next generation, shaping them into being the leaders of today and tomorrow in our world. I believe it with all my heart. But listen... It's not what we say, it's what they see. I understand the limitation of what I say when I give you something to go home and think about and chew on and get your groups and talk about. But you know how the next generation gets changed? They see it in us. 
They see something different about us because we're living with a manna mindset. We're desperate for Jesus to give us what we need for today, and today is enough for us. And it's not the end of the world when we come to the end of ourselves. Let me say that again. It is not the end of the world when we come to the end of ourselves. Desperation is highly underrated in today's world. When you become aware of your inadequacies, your deficiencies, when you feel insufficient for the task in front of you, is when you are most aware of the bread that's available to you. And that's my prayer for all of us this day. That we would focus in on this manna mindset. This is a huge part of having the mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ, that can begin to radically transform our homes, our communities, our cities, our state, our nation, our world. Can I pray for you today? Let's pray. Lord, I do believe that when I come to you, I don't go away hungry. But I pray, Father, for the moments when I, when the bread you offer me is not enough for me. I pray, Father, for, for the discipline given by your spirit to me to choose to allow enough to be today to be enough for me. I pray for every person in here who has been robbed of their energy because they're so concerned about their future or they're so consumed by their past. And I'm grateful, Father, that the answer is your broken body and your shed blood. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we walk with you, as we watch your faithfulness to us, in those moments that our faith would grow and that we would be transformed into your image. And I thank you, Lord, in advance for the amount of faith that is in this room to help those who are trying to believe, but for them it's hard to believe. And we just, one voice, we say to you, it's your power, it's your kingdom, and it's for your glory that we live and breathe. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.